I'm Katie Prejean McGrady, and this is Ave Explores. I want to talk to you about Jesus. Jesus Christ present to us here tonight. Those were words that changed my life. I'll never forget being at a Steubenville Youth Conference as a teenager and a speaker on stage, and I don't exactly remember who it was, gave a talk leading into adoration of the Blessed Sacrament on the Saturday evening of this youth conference that I was forced to go to by my mom, dad, and grandparents. Now, I was a high school student who had no problem with Jesus. I knew him, at least in theory, understood sort of, you know, what it meant to be Catholic. I'd been raised in a Catholic home after all, participated in every youth group thing you can imagine. I'd had my crisis of faith with regards to a massive hurricane that hit my hometown and had returned back to my faith after coming to a deeper understanding. But still, something about those words, I want to tell you about Jesus, who's going to be with us tonight. And this understanding of Jesus is not this holy object. Jesus is not this thing on a shelf. The Eucharist is not this theological concept or idea, but is the fullness of Jesus Christ present to us, body, blood, soul, and divinity. I knew it. I knew it intellectually, but I don't think I knew it in my heart until that moment. When down the aisle, Jesus came in a gold monstrance held up by a priest who would have a huge impact on my life as the years went on. And I think I had my first true authentic encounter with the Lord in that arena in Alexandria, Louisiana, in the spring of 2007, 2006. I think back to that moment a lot. And I think about all the moments since when I've had deeply impactful encounters with the Lord in adoration, in mass, in a tiny church with a closed tabernacle, That the Eucharist is really where it starts and where it ends, the source and the summit, the foundation and the peak. And talking about the Eucharist is a a lofty task. It's a big goal for us to, to dig into and to try to tackle over the next few weeks of this new series that begins today, Ave Explores the Eucharist. And as I was crafting my notes and we're finding guests and we're brainstorming how we want to approach the season and why we need to talk about the Eucharist now, perhaps more than ever. I kept kind of going round and round with myself, you know, starting these podcasts, the first one that you're going to hear my voice leading you into an understanding of our, of our topic for this season. How can I hook someone in? Maybe the same way that I was hooked. I want to tell you about Jesus. Isn't that really kind of what any charismatic proclamation is? Let me tell you about Jesus, who he is, what he's done, why my life is now different and will never be the same again. When we talk about the Eucharist, it's so easy for us to get into the nitty gritty particulars of theological explanation. So easy for us to drift into some sort of liturgical battle or war about this or that, this or that is the right way to do it. It's so easy for us to think of it as this holy object, this thing that I can have, almost approaching the Eucharist with a consumerist mindset. And yet there's something so much deeper going on as there should be. This is a person, Jesus Christ, fully present, who comes to reign in us, who comes to take root in our lives and everything is different. We're in a year, years really, 
a project moment, so to speak, of the Eucharistic revival. These movements and these moments of these flames being sparked across the country, hoping to reignite a love of the Eucharist and a desire to be closer to this person of Jesus in the Eucharist so that we can go out and be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ in our world. And we thought it would be perfect to conclude our fourth season this year, to conclude our our year of, of podcasting with an entire season dedicated to conversation about the Eucharist, what it is, why it is, who it is, but most especially how it matters to us. This is not a series explaining the theological ins and outs and ups and downs of the Eucharist. Although theology will certainly be taught, these are conversations from the hearts and minds of individuals who have stories of encounter with Jesus, who have been changed by their love of the Eucharist, who live their lives differently because of the Eucharist. That Jesus Christ enters our lives hidden and humble, now hidden in the host, and everything is different as a result. And what has that done in our lives? What has that done in our church? What has that done in the world? So much. We're going to do something kind of unique with this series where we're going to have every season, or excuse me, every episode, conversations with our, our guest, a person answering a question, talking about a particular component of the Eucharist, telling us their story. And then at the end of every episode, we're going to take a brief moment and hear from one of the appointed Eucharistic preachers given to us by the USCCB, a handful of priests from across the country who are being sent out to give this charismatic proclamation of the Eucharist. And they'll be answering very specific questions. How do I pray in adoration? What's the scientific evidence backing the Eucharist up? How do I talk about the Eucharist with my kids? So you get kind of a double whammy this season. And we thought it'd be great to kick off our, all of our conversations by just giving some time to a Eucharistic preacher who happens to know intimately what the Eucharistic revival is all about, who the Eucharist is and why it matters and has a, a profound story of conversion himself when it comes to the Eucharist, when it comes to the invitation from Christ to be close to the Eucharist, Father Craig Vosick is a priest of the Diocese of Crookston, Minnesota, has an incredible story. I have to tell you, you know, it was uh, the devil didn't want these conversations to happen because of scheduling conflicts and technology conflicts. And then we finally got everything to work and we finally were able to get the episode up and running and going. And man, oh man, was it such a great conversation. I think you're really going to like it. We're so happy that you're here. We're so happy that you're joining us for this new series on the Eucharist. Remember that you can follow the show anywhere you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, the Ave Maria Press website. Make sure you follow it so you don't miss anything. Share it with your friends. This is going to be a wonderful season of episodes all about the Eucharist with some incredible guests. But right now, we hope you sit back and enjoy this conversation with Father Craig Vosick about that incredible encounter that we can have with our Eucharistic Lord. Father Vasek, welcome to Ave Explorers. Thanks, Katie. Great to be with you. It's great to chat with you. Thanks for taking the time. I was telling you before we started recording, the devil has not wanted this podcast series to happen because we have just had tech issues and scheduling issues across the board. So that's how we know we're doing something right when it comes to the Eucharist. Tell us who you are, where you are, what you're doing, and, and where you're coming to is today. Yeah. Father Craig Vasek, I'm a priest of the Diocese of Crookston in Minnesota, and that matters because Bishop Cousins is the Bishop of Crookston, Minnesota, and he is overseeing the National Eucharistic Revival for the USCCB. And so he had asked me to help out as well. And so I'm working in Washington, D.C. full time for the National Eucharistic Revival. And I'm also one of the preachers who goes out. There's 50 or so, just over 50 preachers that go out to preach about the Eucharist. 
Um, and so I'm one of those. And that's me. So I'm in DC working full time for the revival. Yeah. Does that jive with what you thought you'd be doing as a priest? It's in a lot of ways, it's like the, the fullness. It's the fullness. In particular, I could share with you just two years ago, I was on a 30 day retreat. And during that 30 day retreat, it was like day five. And I was pondering the, the beginning of the 30 day retreat is pondering our, our brokenness and our sinfulness and our need for God, right? Which is really important so we can receive his love after we recognize that we need it. And I was sitting there pondering some you know, key passages from the New Testament. And this burning movement started happening inside of me of preaching the kerygma, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to anyone who would listen. And this started to burn in me and it didn't move. It didn't leave even by the end of that retreat. And I was like, I got to do something about this. And then a couple months later, Bishop Cousins and others said, hey, would you, would you be willing to go around the country and, and preach the gospel? Mm-hmm. And I was like, yes, please. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's kind of always been there for me. And then it was really heightened during that uh, mm-hmm. 30 day. Now I'm now I'm just living from it and I'm just, I'm honored. That's so. awesome. That's, it's so nice to hear that because sometimes I feel like, at least from the outside looking in, and I, I know a lot of priests in a lot of different contexts that like, this is not a job. Like you, you don't just like show up to work and then go home from work. There's, I mean, there's a, a call that's been placed upon your life to do this, to serve the people of God. You've been ontologically changed to do that forever. What drew young Craig to that in the first place that has now arrived at this place of, I get to, I get to go spread the gospel in this way. Yeah. So we don't want to go to young, young Craig because that's <laughs> a dark and dangerous place. And I, we don't have near enough time to, I mean, I, I got kicked out of high school three times for drugs wow. and alcohol addictions and stuff like that. So like, we, we don't need to go there, but I was broken mess, disaster, talented, mm-hmm. popular, but like a broken mess. Mm-hmm. But beginning of college, I uh, started playing guitar because why wouldn't I start playing a guitar and find <laughs> as many young women as possible around campus to listen to me play guitar, you know? <laughs> but because I started playing guitar, a different lady called me, an old lady. <laughs> and she said, Craig, your mother told me you started playing guitar and we need a guitar player for an upcoming young person retreat, a high school retreat. And this was like, I wasn't going to mass. I was mm-hmm. partying all the time and I was trying to pick up girlfriends with this guitar, not uh, not play the church thing, you know? But I went on this thing after saying no to this lady multiple times. I was like, fine, I'll just go. Went on the retreat. They have the confession of sins after these talks about the fact that we need to confess our sins and receive Jesus' love. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. And then this that same old lady was on the retreat. And she came to me. She said, Craig, you can you can go to confession too. And I was like, yeah, I know that. But no, thanks. You know, I don't even want to be here. And she came up to me again. This lady was so persistent yeah. and annoying. <laughs> I went to a priest in the corner that I didn't know and mm-hmm. nobody would see me and you know nobody could hear whatever and nobody would remember and uh, told me to go to confession. So I was going to go to confession and I was like, to be honest, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do this right. Even though I grew up as a Catholic, you know, and he's like, how about I just ask you yes and no questions? Mm-hmm. And I was like, that sounds easy. <laughs> Except they were all <laughs> famous yes last words. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. They were all yes questions. And I didn't say no one time. And I was like, this is not fair. Because I committed all those sins. And it was and I so I said them all. And then at the end, he's like, you know, if you're if you're sorry for your sins, Jesus is ready to forgive you. And I didn't want that a minute prior. Mm -hmm. But as he said it, all of it kind of emerged as that's the only thing in the world that I want. And Mm -hmm. I I just looked at him. And I said, I want that. Mm hmm. And he said the prayer of absolution and my life changed. Like, like fundamentally Instant. my life changed. Yeah. 
when all of my friends changed, like my my buddies from high school, I, I went over to their place after that retreat, didn't say anything about, hey, I found Jesus. But like they saw that something was different. And two weeks later, they stopped calling me because they knew that I didn't want to party anymore. Yeah. I lost my best friends. You know? So that's how dramatic this was. Yeah. As a conversion through the sacrament of confession. Thanks be to God. But then a couple months later, I was at mass and the priest went up to the altar and he paused just for a minute. There's like a spot where you can kind of catechize for a minute between the preface and the Eucharistic prayer or somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. And he did. And I didn't hear a word that he said, but he was doing that. I was looking at him doing that. And all that I heard inside of me, interior voice, it was very clear. This is what I want you to do. Mm. So be a priest, but be a priest. I mean, like looking back on it now, be a priest who teaches about my Eucharistic presence. That's mm. where it that's where it happened. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Be a priest who speaks about me mm-hmm. in the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. So that was the call. And then a couple months later, I, I decided to go to the seminary. So wow. January, not going to mass. January, confession. March, invitation to the seminary. August, I was in the seminary. Very wow. quick. And probably shouldn't have been that quick, but they wow. let me in. What did your folks say? Um, Mom is sneaky. She said, I always knew it was going to be something like this for you. Oh, wow. But she like would weep at night because I was such a sinful boy, you know, so like a mother's heart, you know, yeah. dad's response. And he wouldn't say this now, but what he said then was, well, just don't waste your life and become a monk. Mm. <laughs> I don't because he's like, you have so many natural talents, don't hide them behind the, the walls of a, a building or something. Yeah. I think is what he thought, but he would never say that now because he's actually well formed and he loves <laughs> religious life. But that's what he said. Then. I love it. That's such a, it's such a good story. Because there's a, I think there's a, a version of conversion that happens. Sometimes it's a slow burn. Like it's a candle that like just never goes out. And then eventually a person's like, okay, well, I guess this isn't going anywhere. And then sometimes it is just like the match is lit, the firework goes off and there's this, this massive, everything has to be different now. Would you say that's because like this, th- that doesn't happen because of ideas. Like people don't convert and change their entire lives and dedicate themselves to celibacy in the priesthood because of a book, like they do it because of a person. How did that begin to translate in your life? Like you started to realize, oh, this is very real and this is worth giving everything for. It was that night in January 19th, mm-hmm. 2003. It was just like that. I encountered the person of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, and by the end of that weekend, I was able to say already, mm-hmm. this man died for me. I'm going to live for him. Mm-hmm. It was, And it was like, it was that clear, even though Three days earlier, mm-hmm. I didn't care at all. Mm-hmm. It was that clear that I recognized I was on a path to perdition. Mm-hmm. And he pulled me out of it <laughs> mm-hmm. because he loves me. Yeah. And like, I'm not worthy of that love, but mm-hmm. he loves me. And it was that clear. And nobody like, I mean, maybe somebody had told me that, you know, as I was growing up and I just didn't listen. And I was hard hearted, all these different things. But like, it was just like, I, looking back, I feel like it was like the Pauline sort of experience of Mm -hmm. like, I didn't know. And then he just revealed himself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's how, that's really how it felt. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to live my life for him. Mm -hmm. Uh, Come hell or high water. Yeah. Do you think that that's like hearing it? I'm like, gosh, okay, let me think of my moments. Like I definitely had a big moment like that at a Steubenville conference. And I, you know, I can think of my husband's moment that he's shared with me, but there might be some people thinking, well, I, I haven't had that moment or I really want that moment or maybe I do, but I've never articulated it. Do you think there's sometimes a resistance in the hearts of people as you've done ministry, you've met individuals? Like, do you think sometimes there's a resistance to just, okay, yeah, like you're allowed to do something in my life, Lord? Yeah, that can for sure be the case because if I, 
have, if I just keep living the way that I've been living and I've been resisting, then I'm going to continue to resist, you know, mm-hmm. and it's just like, I just continue that path. And so the invitation is, is to open myself to the greatness of his love mm-hmm. and, and to give him, and just to say, I give you permission, mm-hmm. whatever you want to do, maybe it'll be like really pointed and maybe it'll just be really subtle and over time, but like, I give you permission Lord, to act in my life as God and as Lord and as savior, and as redeemer, and as liberator, and as healer, and as whatever title it is that we want to give to him, because he's got hundreds in the scriptures, and we might as well let him have all those titles. And he can only have those titles if we let him do the thing that those titles do. Yeah. And he's only going to be a redeemer if I let let him redeem me. Mm -hmm. He's only going to be savior if I let him save me. So like, let those titles be proclaimed by letting him give him permission. Yeah. There's always this push on, you know, and like in non-Christian and Catholic circles, oh, the church is so controlling. Jesus is so controlling. And it's like, ah, we're actually the ones very much in charge of ourselves. And we, we freely give that permission to be conformed to the will of the Lord. How do you think the Eucharist plays into this? And, and I want to go back to that moment. You're, you're there in church. You see this priest. He's giving this small moment of, of catechesis. And you feel this tug. I mean, you feel a tug towards what looks like bread, tastes like bread, seems like bread, but is Jesus. I mean, that's a big ascent of faith. What kind of compelled you to be like, well, the only way that I can proclaim that Eucharist with my whole life is if I give myself over to confecting the Eucharist and being this priest that exists in the world as this visible sign. How did you start to kind of grapple with that, understand that? Was it time in Eucharistic adoration? Was it going to daily mass before you went to seminary? How did that start to take root? Yeah. After that conversion moment in January of 2003, I started hanging out with Christians and a lot of them were Protestant Christians. Mm. And I was going to this, the most dynamic thing that we had going on campus was at an evangelical church and I loved it on Sunday nights. And it was, you know, we've seen these things before. It's an evening, there's lots of music, there's a dynamic preacher, there's lots of fellowship, high energy. It's this thing for Mm -hmm. college students and everybody's there. And I, and I loved it. And I was like, I want to, I want to sing to Jesus. This is amazing. And I want to, I want to read his word. This is amazing. And I want to be in fellowship and I want to hear these sermons and I want to be fed and all these different things. It was amazing. And then I was asking my buddies, this was in February and early March before I went back to mass actually. And I was like, all right, guys, this is awesome. But like, I want more, like, where's the more? I want more. And they're like, what do you mean more? I'm like, this is awesome. Let's keep it going. Where's the more? I want more. Mm-hmm. What's next or whatever, you know, like these kinds of things. And they're like, there is, this is it, man. This We've got it. We've got the Bible. We've got fellowship. We've got the word. We've got singing. We've got it all. And I'm just like, yeah, but I want, I want more. And they're like, this is the more. I'm like, okay. So I just found my way to a priest and I said, I want the more. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of foolishly said, give me the catechism. I want to read the catechism. <laughs> and he kind of laughed at me because he's like, that's a big, that's a big more. <laughs> you know, like, it's a yeah. little bit. He gave me this tiny little track, like 20 page little track from um, Catholic Answers, actually. Uh, fire pillar of truth or something like that. Yeah. And I devoured it and it, the fire just got more and more even there. And so by the time I was at that mass on, on in March of that year, I was, I was just burning for mm-hmm. more. And so that was where the vocation came. And there was no reflection on like, I mean, to go into the kind of the silly mind of a 19 year old, there was nothing about, is this going to mean celibacy? Is this going to mean living my life, celebrating mass every day? There was nothing like that. It was just mm-hmm. like, no, be priest. And like, without further consideration of what that actually means you know it's mm-hmm. like be soldier well you could die in battle don't even think about that i want to be a soldier or whatever mm-hmm. it was just like mm-hmm. be priest and like whatever that means but i didn't know know what it meant because i'm just a 19 year old boy you know mm-hmm. and to seminary and i remember falling asleep during adoration regularly because mm-hmm. uh, i didn't yet have an understanding a connection of 
what's going on here. I knew that I loved Jesus. I knew it. And I, and I wanted to read the scriptures and pray to him and love him. But I didn't yet catch that this is where he was. Like, mm-hmm. actually, <laughs> I just mm-hmm. didn't get it. And I was confessing this to the priest, this old Irish priest in the confessional. I keep falling asleep and he like was trying to console me or whatever. But there was a day when I came around the corner and yeah, my life is maybe different than others in that there's like these, there's these big moments that help me and not everybody has these big moments and we don't need those big moments. But I had another one of these big moments. I came around the corner coming into the chapel and there's a little bit of a hallway. So I came around the corner. I could see the blessed sacrament on the altar mm-hmm. before I came into the chapel. It was in the hallway and came around the corner, looked saw the gold monstrance, then saw the Eucharistic host in there. And typically I would just keep walking, whatever. But like I froze because everything inside of me, in my mind, in my heart, in my being, acknowledged that's God. Mm. And I was like, okay, now what? <laughs> like, what do I do? The only thing that makes sense is to kneel down and lay down on the ground, prostrate and mm. just like, what do I do now? Mm-hmm. And so it was this, it was a click, you know, yeah. but I had been in adoration every day and I'd been striving for you know mm-hmm. months at that point. But, but that was a, that was a singular grace at that moment. And there's been lots more since then, but that was like, I learned there that Jesus was not a person that I just had to kind of pretend or imagine where he was because mm-hmm. I couldn't quite grasp it. And he's in heaven, but like that's far away or something right. like that. Cause I knew him really, but now I now I made the connection, but this is where he really yeah. is. He's occupying a space. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big conversation in my family with my kids that like, no, Jesus is in a place. He is in our church. And so that's why we genuflect when we walk in. That's why we don't run around, even if it's like after a baptism and everybody's just taking pictures. Like this is his house. And while I'm sure he's delighting in the joy that you are experiencing being a kid, there's also like a way to be present with this man who's here, right? This Eucharist. I think a lot of people do struggle with that. I mean, you, you just said like there, you struggled up to a point where you were like, I, I don't know where he is. I know he's, he's there, but is he, you know, like that, that jump. How do you as Eucharistic preacher, as someone deeply involved with the revival as just, you know, a, a priest long after the revival's done and finished and we've been revived, right? Like, how do you translate that to people? Like, give us that nugget. Somebody listening to this can like pause this and take their notes or like, go say, hey, go listen to this segment of the show because it's going to explain to us like, no, this is Jesus Christ. This is the person of Jesus Christ who died for us, who loves us, who longs for a relationship with us. Yeah. So Jesus himself gives us the facts Mm -hmm. before he dies on Holy Thursday. He gives himself to his apostles. He says, this is my body and this is my blood. Do this do this, mm-hmm. <laughs> do this. This is my body. This is my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Okay. And he said earlier in John chapter six, as we all know, my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Okay. So he said that. And now he's saying, do this and remember me. But then he dies, he rises. And then he sees his disciples on the road to Emmaus. And he goes into the house with them. He takes bread, he blesses it, breaks it, and gives it to them, which is what the same thing he did at the Last Supper, which is the same thing he did at the Bread of Life Discourse. Mm-hmm. And those are the only places that he did it. So Bread of Life Discourse, anticipating the Eucharist at the Holy Eucharist Institution, and now at the Road to Emmaus, post-resurrection, where are you supposed to find me now? He takes bread, blesses it, breaks it, gives it to them. Mm-hmm. And it was then that they recognized him. It says they recognized him in the breaking of the bread. Okay, maybe there's something going on here in Luke chapter 24, right? Mm-hmm. But then he ascends and it's like, okay, but then like, so where where is he? He's in heaven. Okay, so what does the scripture say he's doing in heaven? Well, Hebrews and Romans both say that he lives forever to intercede before the Father 
for us and he is interceding. He is the head who has ascended into the Father's presence, but his body, scripture says this, we are his body, Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The head has gone into heaven, but his body remains on earth. Mm. Okay, so the head is in heaven, the body is on earth, the head is interceding before the Father for us on earth. Earth. That's what the Bible says. And the body is still on earth. And how does the body communicate? Well, the Bible says that power goes out from his body. Mm-hmm. Like when the woman touched the hem of his garment, the power went out from his body. And so the, the catechism even picks up on this. And they said, this is what the sacraments are. The sacraments are the powers mm-hmm. that go forth from the body of the risen Christ who has ascended to his father, but who communicates his living presence through his body. Mm-hmm. This is awesome. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so through the sacraments, these are the powers that em- emit from his glorified body. So where is Jesus right now? He is glorified at his father's right hand. And so if he wants to be present to us, it's the glory of his glorified presence in heaven that comes and is present to us, which he says that he will be with us until the end. And this is how he has chosen to do it. And this is how he does it. And the church communicates it. Mm-hmm. By his own words, he says. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A good summary. You know, I believe this. You believe this. Yeah. Yeah. My husband believes this. Yeah. I think the majority of people listening to this believe this. Why do you think some people don't? Or why do you think some people resist? Or why do you think some people have walked away? Or we've got the Pew Research that says that there's a massive misunderstanding of the Eucharist. And so it's like, does that one ever stress you out as a priest? Cause I know it stresses me out and I just work in Catholic media and I'm like, we have so much work to do, but two, okay. So we know a lot of people don't believe this. What will it take? How can we possibly turn that tide? A correct catechesis is necessary, but not sufficient. Mm. And the reasons why people don't grasp this are as many as the reasons why people didn't grasp it in the time of Jesus. Mm -hmm. They have underlying commitments to something else and he is not the Lord them. They take their own opinion over his revelation. That happens. They have, you know, a partial, someone says something to them wrongly. So I guess, you know, an early disciple of Jesus could have communicated who he is to someone poorly. So Mm -hmm. that's what catechesis could come in, but it's, it's way deeper than that. We are um, wounded by original sin. Our intellects are dim. Our wills are weak. We are inclined towards things that are not good for us, but we think they're good for us. I mean, all of these reasons and more, you know, it's all the reasons. And so there's no one solution. A better catechesis, absolutely we need, but it's not sufficient. But we need to proclaim Jesus like the first century apostles proclaimed Jesus and proclaim him not the way that we want to proclaim him and we think is best, but the way that the person that we're in front of needs to have him proclaimed. Mm. And you see this, Paul. Peter, the early church, they will not change the message, but they'll change the way of the message to reach the hearer. So Paul speaks in one way to the Jews, in one way to the Greeks, in another way to those, and all these different things, Mm -hmm. right? And so we can easily get on a a soapbox and say, but this is what you need to know, because it's emerging from this sort of deep thing that's inside of us, which is good. Mm -hmm. But rather, when I go to an audience, I try to pick up where's that audience at? Mm Where are they at? And where can I where can I touch upon something that is needed for them? Yeah. Become all things to all people so that we might save at least some. That's what yeah. So I think it's it's there. It's it's finding where is the person at? What are they looking for? I mean, if if I have a if my deepest held conviction is Democrat Republican, okay, well that's not I like that's 
that has to release. Mm-hmm. Right, right. That has to release because the, the Catholic Church is not that. It's, right, it's, right. It's above that, you know. Yeah. So it doesn't matter. And it, it depends on where the person is. So it's, I know that's not an answer. No, but well, that brings up a great. I love that you just said that the deepest held conviction for a Catholic should be that the Eucharist is real, and yeah. everything should flow from that. And I think for a lot of people, the Eucharist as Catholics is just—it's like one of many things that's kind of part of it, not the thing. That's all of it. And and you said this when we were before we hit recording. Like, there's this attitude, and I've been thinking about it since. Like, like there's this attitude that oh, the Eucharist is this holy object that's in a box in the church and we get to go have it as if it's a product I can pull off a shelf and not this person that fundamentally changes everything in my life. And sure, I don't have a chapel in my home, but I went and received the Eucharist when I went to daily mass this morning. So I'm, I'm like a walking tabernacle throughout the course of my day. And I didn't just do that because I just wanted to like punch my card and go get my Jesus for the morning. Like I have coffee, like, like it's, it's supposed to, this is why nuns go to mass every day. That's their spouse, right? This is why priests say mass every day. It's because it's everything. And while sure, for the average lay Catholic, maybe daily mass is not the most practical thing in the world, but like it could be if we understood that this was our, our most deeply held conviction. Let's talk about that. Why do you think we think it's an object and it's just like the holiest of all of them? Well, because it's hard to, I mean, on a natural level, which you've already alluded to, it's hard to to look at something that looks like an object and not mm-hmm. say it's an object. Right. <laughs> on a natural level, yeah. it's like, oh, it looks like an object, so it's probably an object. <laughs> but But this is what we do with humans all the time. Mm-hmm. We look at a human and we treat them like an object. Mm. I mean, go to any of the horrors of human history and and human presence. It's taking a subject, a human, whether it's slavery, trafficking, whatever the thing might be, mm-hmm. and we treat them like an object. And I mean, a good friend, maybe yours as well, Sarah Swafford, mm-hmm. her entire mantra is you stop using each other. Right. So if you're using another human being, you're treating them like an, like an object and not like the subject that they are. And this is JP too. It's like, mm-hmm. no, 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 you're not a, you're not a human doer. You're a human being. You're not a, you're not an object. You're a subject. Like it's easy for us to do this, to turn anything mm-hmm. into an object, mm-hmm. even if it's supposed to be a subject. So, but then something that looks like an object, the Holy Eucharist, we think it's an object. And here's another reason why we might think that baptism, we use an object, water, holy anointing. We use an object, oil. The oil's not Jesus. Mm-hmm. The water's not Jesus. Mm-hmm. We don't hold that. And so the other six sacraments, we hold that there are objects, mm-hmm. you know, I suppose marriage, you know, there's, there's the two subjects. The two right, right. But for the most part of the idea here, let's just stay with baptism. Yeah. There's, an, there's an object, water that communicates grace, but mm-hmm. it's an object. Mm-hmm. And so if I don't catch that the Eucharist is actually fundamentally different than mm-hmm. the other six sacraments, mm-hmm. then I might think it's just uh, another one of the sacraments. And so it's an object. Yeah. And this is the reason why, one of the reasons why the medieval church actually said there were six sacraments. Mm. Because the Eucharist is so much beyond, it's It's so far beyond. It's like, it's not actually a sacrament. It's not just, it's not a sacrament. It's not just a thing that communicates grace. It holds the reality within itself. It holds (laughs) the reality. It doesn't communicate the grace of the reality. It holds and contains the mystery that it conveys. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. That's the Eucharist. Yeah. And I I mean, I think... When we start to understand that, then we do. We behave differently. We dress differently when we go to church. We we understand the importance. I'll never forget as a kid. So my mom and dad, my mom's a convert. And my mom, they did some like continuing education thing at church. I don't know what it was, like some series. And I think it was on the Eucharist. And this is like late 90s, early 2000s. So before we have every streaming platform, it was like VHS tapes with a priest talking about the Eucharist in the early days of something. 
And she came home and we were at this point, I was close to 10 and my sister was seven. So we were far beyond like needing to bring stuff to church, but she would still let us bring in like a book or something religious, but like not fully, fully checked into mass because like, oh, well, I want my kids to be still more than I want them to be paying attention necessarily. And she like came home and she was like, we are done. We will, no snacks will go into mass. No books will go into, we are participating in the mass. Like she was convicted that this is not just a punch the card, go to the thing, get the thing. Like this is real. And I think sometimes it takes like a wake up call. Maybe it's this podcast. Maybe it's some other revival event that's going on. I want to, I want to talk about the revival. This is like part of the heart of the revival is reviving a love of the person of Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. Not just because we like, oh, we're going to trot the object around the country and everybody's going to adore behind this big monstrance that's going from these four different corners. But like at the end of it, the day after the Congress is over, the day after these series of, of years of the revival are finished, you'll have a burning love. Tell me how Bishop maybe shared with you the idea of the revival and like what work you're doing with it right now. Yeah, just to stay on that on that topic of the the Eucharistic pilgrimage and carrying the Blessed Sacrament mm-hmm. across the country. I am, I'm burning with desire for this because mm-hmm. of what, what emerges in my prayer when I think about this is historically, Jesus walked from Capernaum to Cana mm-hmm. or from Cana to Nazareth or from Nazareth to Jericho. And as he walked across that land, he encountered people and mm-hmm. their lives. People were healed. Mm-hmm. People were cared for. People came to salvation, Zacchaeus and Jericho. I mean, like the list goes on. And as I ponder now in the United States of America, not Israel, in the United States of America, our Lord Jesus Christ walking across the country, Mm -hmm. which is what that is, Mm -hmm. walking across the country, the same thing's going to happen. The same thing that took place uh, 2,000 years ago in Israel is going to happen in the United States Mm -hmm. along four different routes because our Lord Jesus Christ is going to walk across Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I am, I'm not coordinating that. And uh, that's like not my but you're forte stoked. anyway. So it's not, that's not a sales pitch. Yeah. I'm just fired up. Yeah. About, I think it's awesome. Yeah. It's awesome. But what's, but what's the, what's the idea there? The idea is that that's really Jesus. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's, that's really Jesus. Mm-hmm. That's not a holy object that's being trotted around. Like, you know, like you're saying, mm-hmm. right? This is, it's really him. And, and he's put himself into our hands and we can bear him mm-hmm. uh, across the country and he will do his work. This is awesome. Mm-hmm. This is amazing. This is superb. So anyway, that's, I forgot the rest of your question, but I'm just fired up. About well, that. yeah, no, well, you're, I mean, you're saying it, it's, they're coming through Lake Charles. I got, I was asked like, could you host a missionary? And I was like, absolutely. I can. Like I've got multiple, well, I'll put my kids in the same room because this is such an amazing thing that's going to be happening. But the, I mean, this is all part of the revival and this whole series we're talking about the revival. We've got Joel Stepanek coming on later in the season to kind of talk to us about the grassroots efforts of what this is. But I mean, kind of top level down, like paint the picture. There's this stirring when we see Pew Research. OK, we've got to do something. And like I, I always go back to what we could have done and like what the church could have done was just mail a book to every Catholic in America and say, read this book. You will understand the Eucharist. And instead, there's this invitation Let's do something that sparks a fire. Talk to me about that, how you heard about it, why you said yes to going and working with that. Yeah. So, I mean, I think simply put, we want to touch each domain of the church for a full year. Mm. So we want to touch the diocesan offices for a full year to set a match there for a full year mm-hmm. and then see what the burn is from that. Then we want to touch parish life for a full year and just touch that with a match for a full year mm-hmm. and see what, what starts to burn from there. Mm-hmm. And then we want to touch both at a national level, but at, at, a, at the most grassroots level in that third year, we just want to touch that with a match. 
for a full year. Mm -hmm. And then from there, the flame that begins to hopefully burn in certain places, Mm -hmm. you know, during those years will then go. And so the revival is a three-year initiative as a as a starter. Mm. It's simply a fire starter for three years. It's not like we're going to finish the mm-hmm. revival. No, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll have finished lighting a match. It's our hope mm-hmm. at the end of those three years because we've lit a match at the diocese and the parish and then at the individual or, mm-hmm. or grassroots level. So, I mean, that's the revival. And as we're, pre- we're just touching with a match for three years. And I think it's really beautiful. I think it's very, mm-hmm. very wise. So I'm, I'm glad to, to be part of that. And, and what's the point? The point is what we've been talking about how do we do this? We proclaim Jesus Christ mm-hmm. that crucified and risen from the dead. All of the power of heaven and earth is in him. And he's real. And he really died and rose from the dead. And he really wants to communicate his life to us. Mm-hmm. And so as, as preachers, we're supposed to go out and proclaim him. So this is where like, you know, go proclaim a really good catechesis. No, it's like, no, no, it's to proclaim him. Mm-hmm. It is to proclaim Christ crucified, risen, exalted, alive, and communicating his divine life to you. And then people are like, really? He is? He's really real? Yes, he is. Mm-hmm. Well, then how do I get in touch with that? Okay, then the sacraments are the ways by which mm-hmm. you receive that. The ministry of the word always precedes the ministry of the sacraments and leads mm-hmm. to it. Faith comes from hearing. And then what's my response? Okay, then be introduced to through these things. And we've already been introduced, so uh, it's to be reintroduced, you know, mm-hmm. uh, to these, these living gifts of the Lord. So I'll just share with you, Katie, last year for my eight-day retreat, I thought Jesus was very clear and very simple. He's like, just just pray before me in the Blessed Sacrament mm-hmm. and read the Bible. And I was like, okay, that's really a simple retreat. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, well, John chapter six seems like a good place to start. Eight days, four hours a day. I didn't finish John chapter six wow. in eight days. And I got stuck on verse, a number of verses, but on verse 57, just as the, li- this is Jesus speaking, just as the living father sent me and I have life, Life, Mm -hmm. like life, like divine, everlasting, eternal, whatever you want to put to this, like existence, just as the living father sent me and I have life because of the father. So also, so also, so in the same way, so also Mm -hmm. the one who feeds on me Mm. will have life because of me. Mm -hmm. I I mean, there's all these like one-liners from John chapter six yeah. that are amazing, but I had never paused on that one. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and I yeah. was like, I can't, I can't get past this. Yeah. So the one who feeds on me yeah, has the same will life. have existence life, yeah. everlasting life because of me, because mm-hmm. of feeding on mm-hmm. me, because mm-hmm. I have it. And here's how you get it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, well, he couldn't have been more clear. Uh, <laughs> I think we complicate it. Because it seems, I mean, uh, most of Christianity is an absurd experiment, it seems, unless you actually believe Jesus meant what he said. Like, was he a liar? Was he a lunatic? Or is he the Lord? You can always kind of go back to that question of of C.S. Lewis. And I I think you arrive at a place of, okay, he's the Lord. Like he meant it. He said it. He meant it. So am I going to do it or am I not going to do it? Father, we've concluded all of our episodes and we will be concluding all of our episodes this season with kind of a key question. I've been doing this for a couple of years on our, our different series So the common question that everyone will be asked and you get to kind of be first out of the gate, you get 60 seconds with anyone of your choosing. Could be your mom, could be an atheist, a random person on a street corner. You get to pick a person and share something with them about the Eucharist that you, you know, like you're confident this is going to challenge them, maybe change them, encourage them. And I mean, obviously you can go over 60 seconds, but I'm like your, your elevator pitch, I guess is the better way to put it. You get, you get that time with them to really share with them a nugget of truth. 
Who is it and what do you share? Well, I think it would be, it's theoretic in that you're asking a theoretic question, but the person in my mind is theoretic. I would want to find whoever's the most influential person in the world. Mm. (laughs) You know, whoever that person is. I don't actually know who that person is, but lacking that, you know, it could be the Pope, but he doesn't, you know, hopefully he doesn't. He doesn't need that. (laughs) You know, so I'll I'll pick a person that he's not the most influential person, Jackie Chan, but he's pretty influential in Protestant Christianity. And he's made some moves with regard to his understanding of the Holy Eucharist. So, and he, and he has influence. So maybe, maybe I'd pick him for today and it would make someone else different tomorrow, but, uh, and share with him, basically I'd share with him John chapter six, verse 57. Mm-hmm. I have been so struck by it over the last year through my prayer that I would want to share with him just as the living father said in Jesus and Jesus has life because of the father. So also the one who feeds on Jesus will have life because of Jesus. And mm-hmm. just to ponder that with Jackie, and to say, hey, what are you up? Sorry, not Jackie Chan. Francis, Francis Chan. Francis Chan. I, I, didn't, I was thinking I was maybe there was a different. The whole time. Yeah, <laughs> cut, restart. Okay, I've been saying Francis Chan the whole time. Uh, Jackie Chan. I thought maybe that you were just awesome. like really into the movies and he was more Christian than I realized. But I think most people, Francis Chan, who, yeah, he's like on the cusp, I, I would say. You know. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. So I would go to Francis Chan starting over my 60s. I would go to Francis Chan and I would say, Francis Chan, let's look at John chapter six, verse mm-hmm. 57. And just and just pray with it. Let's just pray over it and see where it goes. Uh, because I think we have to make a connection to who Jesus is. And once we make a connection to who Jesus is, what is the provision that he is giving us? And then that's what we have to respond to. Mm-hmm. That's good. Father, thank you for sharing. Where can we follow you? see the work that you do, maybe hear you speak. I know you're one of the preachers. So I'm sure you're going out to places. Yeah. So officially, uh, you know, we got eucharisticrevival.org and then the eucharisticcongress.org and a whole bunch of other things that we're doing for the revival. Then personally, I'm on Facebook, Father Vosick, and then I've got a small website, fathervosick.com, and then on SoundCloud as well, Father Vosick. Yeah. So official revival things through the official means and then mm-hmm. Father Vosick on other platforms. Awesome. Thank you for taking the time. I really appreciate it, Father. Thanks, Katie. I'm, I'm still I'm still so struck. I mean, days later about Father Vasek's thought there of, you know, the Eucharist is not this holy object. It's not this thing that I just get. It's this person that I encounter and everything's different as a result. And if we're not changed and challenged and moved by that person, then it is not the person of Jesus Christ that we have met. It's some sham. It's some misunderstanding. So much of our season digging into the Eucharist is going to be very much not just our our intellectual ascent to understanding what the Eucharist is, but an invitation to beginning to love the who. Who is this Eucharistic Lord and why? Why does he make himself humble and hidden for us in this way to where everything is different after we've encountered him? I'm so excited about the people that you're going to get to meet this season, both our guests for the show and our Eucharistic preachers. And I just want to take a second to kind of preview for you who's coming. Sister Alicia Torres, who works with the Eucharistic Congress office, will will share with us kind of her own story of revival in her life and her love of being able to share about the Eucharist. Dr. Tim O'Malley, Heather and Jake Kim, Perpetua Charles, Catherine and Scott Whitaker, Joel Stepanek and Father Ryan Rojo are all slated to join us. I've already interviewed quite a few of them for this season, and you're going to love what they have to say. And one of the things that's been really great so far about getting this series together and having these conversations has been about inviting people into just kind of a a moment, right? Think about, reflect upon, contemplate a specific moment of encounter with Jesus. And it's been wonderful 
to hear from people their stories, ways that they would explain the Eucharist to people who maybe don't believe or who have drifted away. You're not going to want to miss any of it. And so I want to tell you, if you go to AveMariaPress.com, you can sign up for a weekly email that'll come right to your inbox when these episodes launch. It'll have some exclusive giveaway things, some coupon codes for books on the Eucharist, as well as continued written resources that will certainly be engaging for you to help revive something within your heart for a love of the Eucharist. And it very much kind of goes back to this, let me, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about who's going to be with us tonight. Who's going to be with us forever? Who is with us, present in the Eucharist, completely and totally, that changes everything in our reality. So let me tell you about Jesus. This season, we're going to do that. And we hope you come along for the ride with us. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you soon with a whole lot more of Ave Explorers. Make sure you follow the show. Give it a rating and review if you'd like. Share it with your friends and family. We're so happy to be on this journey of exploration of the Eucharist with you. This podcast is part of the Spoke Street Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com.